Let's read your Bible this morning. Turn with me to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 13 is where we are going to be hanging out uh, today. We're going to be uh, walking through a lot of scripture, but Matthew chapter 13, verse 24 through verse 30 is where we're landing. Um, A little known fact, about a year ago, my wife started a new job in the area of safety. Uh, And I don't know if you know a whole lot about the world of safety, but in the last year, we have learned a lot. We have learned uh, a lot of things about what you should and shouldn't do around our house. And sometimes I feel like some of the things that I do become safety moments of what not to do. Guys, are you like that at all? Like, baby, I promise if you put the chair on top of the table, I can stand with one foot and reach it with my tippy toes. You know, that kind of thing. And so I, I was just thinking about her impact uh, on her job and that, that environment. And I started looking at this correlation between safety and satisfaction, safety and production, safety and purpose. And do you know what's pretty crazy? When people feel safe, it changes things. Isn't that a crazy thought? So because someone has to verify that with money to make the question kind of lay out, a Lockheed Martin, which is a defense supplier, did a study, a pretty in-depth study about how safety impacted their employees, uh, their relationships, and all those kinds of things. And just having safety, security, in what they were doing not only increased productivity by almost 25%, it increased employee longevity as well. In other words, there became satisfaction. There became this, this understanding, this room to develop relationships, this room to develop ownership and understanding of what they were doing. And, and that hits me because Lockheed Martin, spending time and money on that, they're a part of the bigger, bigger national defense um, process picture that we have here. And, and that started making me uh, just consider more and more, what does it mean to be secure as a believer? Because as, as Christians, we know we're part of God's bigger relationship, that we, we have a deeper root with, with the Lord available to us than what's available with our wife, or our children, our coworkers, or our families. And so what does it mean to be safe in our relationship with Jesus? Because the reality is, the the, the Lord God Almighty, sovereign over all creation, is much bigger, a much bigger, much more important picture than just the U.S. national defense that Lockheed Martin's a part of. And so I started working through that and looking through, through what that might be and came across these parables that Jesus tells about the kingdom of heaven. And, and through these parables, Jesus gives this incredible picture of what it's like to understand real security with the Lord, what it looks like, what, what that relationship looks like, and what the product of it is. And so if you have your Bible, Matthew chapter 13, go back to verse 1 and 2. We'll set the scene first because I think we have to be uh, uh, secure in understanding our place in God's bigger picture. So, so Matthew chapter 13, um, verse 1 and 2. If you have your Bible, you can read with me. I covered it up by my notes here. I apologize. The Bible says this, That same day Jesus went out of the house and he sat beside the sea. 
And a great crowd gathered around him so that he got in the boat and sat down and the whole crowd stood at the beach. Now, now consider that for just a second. Jesus here in the middle of all of this is, is teaching. And he's not just teaching to his disciples. Sometimes we have these moments in scripture where we have to say, who is this for? Is this for Jesus's inner circle? Is this Jesus's outer circle? Who is Jesus talking to? When he's talking about the kingdom of heaven and this bigger relationship and how it all works, who's he speaking with? Well, if you want to understand the room, verse 1 and 2 tells us, it's a great crowd. And in this great crowd are, are all kinds of people because the story that's built around us shows that there are enemies of Christ in the crowd. In fact, they only bought a ticket to gather data against their opponent, right? That's the only reason they're there. There are most likely others that may be where you are today. They were dragged to church by their mama, right? By their spouse, their wife, or their husband. They're like, you got to hear what this guy has to say. You know, it's not even noon and it is Sunday. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's probably people like that in the crowd saying, what's the point? I'm, I'm just doing this so I can keep the peace at the house. There are most definitely others who are trying to figure out, is he the Messiah? Like they're really interested in knowing the truth, but they're not sure where they stand yet. And then there are absolutely his disciples, those who have given their life to him and are all in trying to drink deeply of every word. And, and I love that Jesus tells this parable in a mixed crowd because I think we have to be secure in the room that we are in if we're gonna hear the words that are spoken to us. Have you ever processed that? Have you ever been in a place, and, and ladies, I don't know if you do this, but I do this, men, um, when I'm walking around with my family in a foreign place or with a church group, in a foreign country or, or, or foreign city, you could be talking to me and I may not hear everything you're saying because I'm trying to secure the room, basically. I'm, I wanna know what's going on around us, what's happening on the sidelines. I just wanna take a big picture. And so that is one of the few legitimate reasons for saying, sorry, I wasn't listening to you to my wife, right? Most of the time, I just was distracted. But, but in those moments, I want to secure the room. So this morning, here's what I want for you. Would you be willing to embrace the possibility, the reality, that what Jesus is speaking, he intended for you to hear? Whether you are his enemy, whether you are bored to death and got dragged to church, whether you're trying to figure out what truth really looks like, or whether you're a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. Because that's the crowd, that's the audience in chapter 13 of Matthew when he's writing down this scene. And, and, and after you find your place in the room, we have to secure our understanding. I, I, excuse me, secure the facts. I love that Jesus starts off his parable telling us and everybody else what's going on. So Matthew chapter 13, verse 24, read along with me, verse uh, 24 and 25. <clears throat> this is what the Bible says. It says, he... Uh, this is Jesus, put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while the men were sleeping, his enemy came, sowed weeds among the wheat, and they went away. The kingdom of heaven, Jesus is saying, if you want to know how the kingdom of heaven is at work, how my master plan, how the sovereign God thing is unfolding, here's what I want you to know. It, it's kind of like a man, 
an owner, this sower, who sowed these good seeds out. He was going to produce an amazing crop. But while his men were asleep, the enemy came and he sowed bad seeds so that weeds would grow alongside of the good seed. You see, the facts of understanding what's going on in the kingdom give us a huge picture of it. Are, are any of you puzzle makers? You can raise your hand. I give you permission. Anyone like to do puzzles in the room? Do you like to do puzzles? Yeah, you frustrate me. I just want you to know the front end. My family, they love puzzles. Um, and I am, am bad. My father-in-law set an example that I would have set if I didn't know the backlash on him. He doesn't like puzzles, but he steals one piece so that when the puzzle's done, he can have part in it without being frustrated. Listen, this is brilliant, but the backlash is strong. So I'm not recommending it. I'm not recommending it. But, but if you like puzzles, what's the most important thing that you need in order to do a puzzle? The picture, the box, right? If you keep all the puzzle pieces but lose the box, throw out the pieces, right? It's worthless. We bought a puzzle the other day. No kidding. Not only did it have a box, but inside the box, it had a blown up picture of the puzzle. My wife said, this is a good one. I'm like, yeah, we, we can see it with our readers off. I mean, it's amazing. And, and so in this puzzle, you want to understand the big picture so that you can understand. You're not just working fruitlessly without, without understanding. If you and I don't secure the facts of what God is doing, what he's made clear to us, then a lot of times moving along in our Christian life is a whole bunch of questions with very little answers, right? It just, it just feels like I'm trying one thing after another, after another, after another, after another. So Jesus says, listen, before we get any further, let me be very clear with you, securing the facts. First of all, the sower is good. Not only is the sower good, the sower owns the land and the seed that he plants is good. It was good before he planted it. It became and stayed good when he planted it. And the fruit that it will produce is good. What the sower does is good, truth. What the enemy does is bad. The enemy is the enemy of the sower, not the enemy of the seed. He's the enemy of the sower. And his intentions are bad. His whole goal is to cause confusion, to make the sower look bad, to cause embarrassment, so that his crop will look unbecoming. That's the purpose of the enemy. Now go into your Bible, back into 13, verse 25. It says these words, but while the men were what? Asleep. See, the men were not alert. The workers, the servants, the ones who were there, who were given care and dominion and, and protection, who were, who were assigned to responsibilities, what to do, they had fallen asleep. Church, I, I think setting the facts here matters greatly because it starts to tell us a few different things. And this is a parable. And, and the Lord later gives us a, 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 an unpacking of this. But this isn't something that can be changed. This isn't something that you can go back and hit the reset button. If the men would have stayed awake, if they would have been alert to the trappings of the enemy, the weeds wouldn't have occurred. How do I know? Go back to the garden. Right? Go back to the garden. 
when Adam and Eve are tempted they're sleeping on the job their eyes are wide open and the enemy says what do you mean you can't eat of this tree what, what, what do you mean you, you can't take hold of that just take a bite and while they were not alert to the enemies of God while they were distracted by one thing or another he planted that seed and they took it willingly church you and I cannot go back and be awake you and I don't get a, a redo back in history you can't go fix this and in fact God doesn't even want that example to be in that moment he just wants you and I to understand the facts of the state of things there is actual and active sin in this world and we have been asleep to it in places in scripture it would say that we were dead to it so why does God start to lay out this picture? Why does he give us this picture and the warning? Well, first of all, he wants us to know the facts that what God is doing is good and it is always good. I was reading in Ezekiel uh, this month and if you've not read Ezekiel, it, it may be one of those books that's a little bit harder to stay awake in for you guys. But in the book of Ezekiel, the, the whole last eight chapters are about the good things of God. What's coming in store, how God will redeem his people and redeem the temple. And in Ezekiel chapter 43, verse 10, this is what the Lord tells Ezekiel. Write down how incredible this is so that people will be ashamed. See, what, what God says is, I want you to know how good I am so that when you see sin, when you see what you have received and accepted while you were sleeping, you'll look at what I've created for you and it will be so amazing, you wanna put your head down and push back. And verse 11 starts talking about the the way the people will turn from their sin. Church, God wants you to understand the facts so that you can be entangled with what he has and be honest with yourself. So it starts with a question. How do we find security in Christ? Not out loud, but in your heart. Have you been sleeping? Have you been going through life? Have you found your routine? Have you going through all these things? Have you possibly maybe missed out on going all in on God's bigger plan for your life? This is how Jesus starts it off by saying, if you have been there, you're not alone. Every man, woman, and child has been asleep at one time. So understand the facts. Now, the second thing we have to do is now we have to understand. If we have the facts, what do we do with them? Listen, the first time you pulled out a smartphone, did it make you feel smart? Nah, it was only when you understood how it worked that you, that you found yourself there. So Jesus goes in, he says, first, you need to secure the facts. If you're gonna live in this life that I've called you the way I've called you, understand it and own it. But then let understanding happen. Verse 26 through 38, 28, look in your Bible with me. It says, so when the plants came up and bore grain and the weeds appeared also and the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, master, did you not sow good seeds in your field? How is it then? How then does it have weeds? 
And he said to them, an enemy has done this. And the servants said to him, then do you want us to go and gather them? Church, are you willing to ask God a question? I, I love that Jesus gives this example. Are you willing to look a little silly? Moms, have you ever been there? Dads, we don't find ourselves there as often. Do you remember moms when your oldest or second oldest was four years old, that toddler age? Everything was a question and everything they had learned, they were proud to show off. Ladies, that actually doesn't wear off in men. We're always proud. Like, took out the trash today. We're proud. We want you to know. But, but in that, ladies, did this ever happen to, happen to us? Did, were you ever walking through? It tends to be the oldest. Christy's pregnant, you know, or, or just had a baby in her belly. You know where I'm going with this? And your inquisitive older child walks up to another woman and asks the question, do you have a baby in your belly? And the answer is no. Have you had that moment? That's like, you're dying. You're dying. I can tell you where I was when that happens. I, my face goes red because you know what people do. They look at the child and then look at you and like, I know I should not go to heaven. If it happened right now, Jesus would leave me right here. Like your, your child isn't concerned about looking dumb because they want to understand, don't they? They want to get it right they want to find out what's going on i have learned this crazy fact that mamas carry babies in their belly that's mind-blowing and they want to share that knowledge and they want to ask and when when my daughter found out later on in the car with her daddy right this we don't ask that question anymore ever ask me ask me we can maybe unintentionally teach something that we don't want to teach. That, that when you're safe and when you're secure, you ask questions for understanding. Right? Why don't I go up and just ask every lady, do you have a baby in your belly? Because it's not safe or secure. You follow me? But my child is safe and secure it at three or four years old. And so they want to ask questions. Are you willing to ask Jesus the questions that embarrass you? Because if, if you want to know what life is, you've got to be willing to say, listen, God, if this is the kingdom of heaven, then why are there so many weeds? I mean, could you imagine Jesus telling his disciples a parable about a question asking this, aren't you good i mean that that's the question the disciples ask look at or the parable ask verse 27 master did you not sow good seed in your field how then does it have weeds church jesus the son of god gives the people of all stages in faith the security to say, ask me your questions. If it doesn't add up to you, that's okay. Don't hold it in. Ask me your questions. If, if all of the data points tell you one thing, ask me your questions. And, and these questions are one, are you good? Church, asking God if he is good can feel, if you've been raised in church long enough, like a taboo question. Like you cannot ask God if he is good. 
right? Somewhere along the line, even when we are struggling, we're supposed to say, I, I know that you're good, God, but I don't believe it in my heart. I just can't vocalize it right now. How much more is it to run to God and say, God, I need to know you're good, right? I'm, I'm following hard after you. Is it, am, I, am I safe enough and secure enough to you to say, God, I am struggling with doubt right now. I am struggling with what you have for me right now because what I see doesn't line up. So can I just say, you're good, right? Church, our God is not just big enough to give you understanding. He is secure enough that he wants his children to ask any and every questions because he has every single answer. You see, you can't live a life for Christ securely on the outside if you aren't secure with him on the inside. So the kingdom of heaven is supposed to be upon us so why about all of these weeds? Well, Jesus would, would very easily say, hey, just seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be opened. I'll tell you the truth. The master says, here's the deal. Yes, I planted good seeds and this is what happened. The enemy came in a night and he sowed bad seeds. Could you imagine if the parable were real life, the relief that would come into that moment? The, the relief that the sovereign master knows exactly what happened. He knows exactly what's going on. He wasn't surprised that, oh my goodness, I don't know how weeds got in the midst of this thing. God knows the answer to every question. Church, you can come to God with your questions. And if you are willing to listen, he will show you what security looks like. But there's a difference between asking a question and throw in a dart, amen? See, the enemy, what does he do? The Bible says he threw in bad seed and what? He left. Go back to the beginning of the chapter, verse 24 of the story. He threw it in and he went away. You see, it's not asking God a question if you're just lobbing bombs at him and running away. Bring your questions and trust in his security for the answer. You wanna grow closer to him? Be willing to ask the embarrassing questions because that shows him the love and the respect that he desires so that he can lead you, invite you to follow him. So we've got to be willing to come to him for understanding. He gives us the facts. He gives us an understanding, but it can't stop there. God doesn't want us to go to heaven with heads this big of his knowledge and, and you know, in little bodies. You know, I'm thinking back to a trash bag commercial. He doesn't want your spiritual knowledge base to be hefty, 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 right? And your spiritual action base to be what? Wimpy, wimpy, wimpy. Yeah, you, you all just dated yourself. Right? But, but if we stop at understanding, that's, what, that's why Christians look like bobbleheads walking around the place. It's like, I know what to do. I just can't do it right now. I'm just, I can tell you what to do because it can make your life better. Well, I can tell you how bad you are. But we've got to work out our faith. 
This is what Jesus talks about in this parable. Go back to 20, 28 through 30. He says, he says to them, an enemy has done this. So a servant said, then do you want us to go and gather them? But he, the sower, says, no, lest the gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. So let them both grow together until harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first, bind them into bundles and be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. I mean, can you sense the full acceptance in this story? The men, when, when the sower says, the enemy has sown weeds, they're all in. They're excited. They're like, great, then we have a plan. Let's rip out the weeds. You want us to rip out the reeds, right? You, you want us to tear these things out because they're making you look bad. They're making people question you. This is what's going on. You see, this is like a childlike response. And a childlike response is exciting. In fact, sometimes it can make us clap. You just want to do something for Jesus. You just want to make a difference for Jesus. You see, there, there's nothing exciting about the wrong action unless action is scarce. See, when the right action is scarce, any action is celebrated. Amen? When the wrong action is scarce, any action is celebrated. Here's what I mean by that. It, if you are in a relationship in, in marriage... And one of the people in the marriage is amazingly neglectful. Their world revolves around them and them alone. And, and the spouse feels ignored. Any action is celebrated. Maybe you're the person who struggles with how you treat your spouse and what you say to them. A day without cutting them down feels amazing. A day where you use words that can be spoken in front of your children, even though they're harsh, whew, that's so much better. You see, we only celebrate the wrong action when there's no action. In church, I think when it comes to acting for Christ in this world, we applaud people whose testimonies are wretched, whose lives are, are, are just wrong, their actions are wrong, but there's just a scarcity of people acting for Christ, so we applaud them. We, we should not simply be quick to do something. We should be quick to follow Christ. Because the idea of quick action just but came off of my head is looking at the small picture and not a big picture. Uh, we've been working on a memory verse. Uh, this past week, it's our memory verse for this next week. I want you to, it's gonna come up on the screens. I want you to, guys to, to read it out loud with me. So can we put that on the screen? John chapter 14, uh, verse 21. All right, will you read this with me? Whoever has my commands and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him, and I will manifest myself to him. Now, now catch this. We love that passage because it's he it is. We don't say he it is very often, so that's where we get excited in our house. It, the Bible doesn't say anyone who does something in my name, I love you. I'm so excited you just chose to do something. What does it say? He who has my command and what? 
keeps them. You see, God celebrates our following him, not our leading him. He, he celebrates our obedience to him, not us following the passions of what we want to do for him. What God celebrates is us understanding that the way that we impact our world is dramatically, is dramatically uh, impressed, influenced by our impulses. And is your impulse to do something for God or is it to follow the almighty sovereign God? You see, in the story, their impulse is just to do something. But the owner of the field is very quick to say, that is not what you should do, no. He says something crazy. He says, actually, don't do anything. Don't rip out. Don't follow your impulses. Don't get angry. Don't, don't worry about saving face. Don't worry about fear. Don't worry about all of these things. Instead, I want you to let them grow together. Now think about it. If you're in charge of taking care of, of the crop, I don't know if you've ever had a big garden or even a vegetable garden, when, when weeds and all that come in, you know there's more to making fruit grow, wheat grow, than just pulling weeds. Amen? If pulling weeds was all it took to make a crop bountiful, a lot more farmers would exist in this world. But, but what does it imply? If, if, you're gonna, if you're gonna let the weeds grow together and it's your job to tend the crop, what does that mean? That means you're gonna fertilize the weeds and the wheat. That means you're gonna water the weeds and the wheat. That means you're gonna keep the rabbits, the foxes, the squirrels, bless their stinking hearts, out of the crop. You're gonna protect them all until the time of harvest. Church, what God says is this. The kingdom of heaven is here and I'm in charge of it. And your job is not to separate the weeds and the wheat. It's to bear witness of my goodness to the crop. And we can do that as servants and as, as the, the good seed, so to speak. I started writing it down. Why? Why in the world would, would caring for the weeds and the wheat be a good thing? The first thing I wrote down in my notes was this. That strong wheat restrains the spreading of the weeds. You see, taking care and making the roots of the wheat stronger keeps weeds from taking over. That's why we fertilize our grass, isn't it? I mean, have you ever thought about this? If you fertilize your grass, if you take care of it, you have less weeds. Do you know why you have less weeds? Because the, the root of your grass is stronger. There's, the, everything's covered. There's no holes in your, in your yard. There's no patches in your yard. But if you start neglecting taking care of your yard only to pull the weeds out, guess what's going to happen? You're going to have more holes and more weeds. So if you and I allow the wheat to grow and we are the wheat and we are growing, then we keep the weeds from spreading. John chapter 1, the light has come to the world and the world could not what? Overcome it. You see, the roots of the kingdom of God in the seed of his people are strong. And so over and over in scripture, God says, stand strong. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, 
knowing that your labor is not in vain. Do you know that standing firm and rooted in Christ is not vanity of life? It, it restrains the weeds from spreading. I, I thought a little bit further, why else it might be? And I wrote this down. Good fruit reveals God's goodness. Good fruit reveals God's goodness. Hey, anyone here a child of the 70s or 80s? Anyone grow up in that area? Okay, good. We'll kind of get that. Again, we'll tell you an age a little bit. I apologize that day at church. Anyone grow up in a house where wax fruit was on a table? Hmm. Yeah, I know you. If you were a mom that put wax fruit on the table as an parent, I appreciate it. As a child, I didn't because you know even though as a child you tell me it's wax and it's not real even though as a child you you tell me that what does every kid need to do lick the fruit i know it's pre-covid world pre-covid we lick the fruit you bit the fruit styrofoam I, th I, I think cps comes out for that now that's why we don't use wax fruit we had fruit wallpaper i saw willy wonka guess what that means i did I want to taste and see, is the wallpaper good? It's not. You see, real fruit makes fake fruit taste like garbage, right? Are you, are you following me? The real fruit shows how much better our, our God is than the fake fruit of the world. The real fruit of God makes things evident in Matthew chapter 5 verse 16 that's why God says let your light so shine before men so they may see how good he is and bring him glory how see how good he is church if you and I are focused on caring bearing feeding discipling if that's what we're focused on the fruit of God will make the fruit of sin look like it is shriveled up cheap imitation there's a reason we don't spend the, our life picking weeds because the fruit makes the weeds look ridiculous it makes weeds look shameful but I thought about something else I, I think the reasons that God allows maybe the weeds and the wheat to grow is so that God could show that he can reclaim some of those wheat kernels that are acting like weeds. Listen to 2 Peter verse three, chapter 3. Mm. Verse 8 says this, Do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years. In a thousand years is like one day. Verse nine, this is huge. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise. As some of you think or count slowness, but he is patient towards you, not wishing that anyone should perish, but that all should reach repentance. What? Why does the Lord allow the wheat and the weeds to grow? So that by the conviction of the Spirit, by the testimony of those who bear fruit, the Holy Spirit of God can bring to life that which is dead. 
and show purpose and meaning and greatness to those who have embraced the weeds of sin. You and I should be busy making sure there are no weeds in our life. But in this world around us, if we gave every ounce of our energy to bearing fruit to be shared with the world, if we gave every ounce of our energy to making deep roots so the weeds of the enemy would, would fall when they, when they felt that there was no life for them there, if we gave all of our energy to believing that the same God, the same Spirit who saved us in our sin, that he could reclaim others through the testimony of our fruit. I think then we would get a glimpse of the kingdom of God in ways that would inspire and motivate and challenge and impact the circle in our life and the world around us. It's not by embracing reeds, weeds. It's by demonstrating Christ. The Lord is, is not slow. He's patient. And when we started talking about who's your one, this just started wrecking us. What if I knew I had brothers and sisters in Christ praying for me and for those who are the, the, the weeds around me who don't understand that there's fruit in Jesus Christ? That there's real life, not fake life, not pretend life, that there's real life in Christ. What would it look like if, if I could be encouraged to share Christ with them and my brothers and sisters would be spurred on towards that? What would it be like if the world celebrated like the angels in heaven when one who was lost is found? See, I think somewhere along the way, the weeds have grown up and made us feel like celebrating the victories of Christ was a prideful, arrogant thing. Oh, church, only the enemy would say that to keep your fruit small. Because there's no pride in the servants because we only do the will of the one who sent us. How do I grow secure and close to God? Know he's speaking to you. Be secure in the facts. Secure your understanding. Ask him those questions. And be secure in how you move. In obedience, not in recklessness. Listen, verse 30 says something, Matthew. Let both grow together until harvest. Now, this is huge. At harvest time, at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds. Bind them into bundles to be burned. but gather the wheat into my barn. 
oh, that the church could make it her mission that the bundles to be burned would be as small as possible. Instead of simply thinking, I'm glad I'm in a bundle that goes in the barn. Draw near to him. He has made you for something bigger. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, we love you. And Lord, it, it's an amazing thing as we, as we try to, to get in spiritual shape. Lord, remembering that we're a part of this bigger relationship in you. Father, we praise you for being a God who doesn't hide the facts. You are good and you are holy. And you are happy to show us how. But there is an enemy and there is sin. And men and women have been asleep. Father God, our role as the church in this world is to be who you've made us to be. Strong roots to hold off the enemy. Strong fruit to give evidence to the power of our God. And not in a hurry to do damage. But allowing you your proper time to reclaim that which is lost so that bundles may be small because God we know there is a day of judgment that will come and you will separate the weeds and the wheat so God let your kingdom come let your glory happen and Lord let us be a part of all that you have in store in Jesus name Amen